Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. We're so excited today to have Danielle Grossi from Microsoft joining us. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. We're excited to talk with you. So I'd love to start um, just asking people to share a little bit about your career and your career journey. So maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today and then towards the end, maybe share what you do now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I actually never thought I'd work in tech, and uh, but here we are, 23 years later, and uh, I'm still loving it. So I guess it was the the right choice at the time. Uh, I started my career in 1999 at Boeing as a contractor doing end user computing support. So that means you know, Windows 95 and Exchange client and all of these things, um, and learning quite a bit on the job. So after that, I was fortunate to get a job at Microsoft in 2000 as a software test and and developer engineer. And I worked there for three years in the Windows division, uh, testing and breaking software, which is awesome. I love to break the software and show the developers where they needed to fix it. So that was always fun. Um, But from there, I got an opportunity to go to Germany. And uh, in Germany, I worked for Nestle, for Intel, and for SAP. And I was doing all kinds of different things from software development to software development project management, um, system integration, system management, and uh, and administration, you know, with these big SAP uh, enterprise systems. So I was doing that for quite some time, living in Germany. It was great. And then uh, decided to go off and do my own thing. So I did a, a three-year stint of founding and running startups. And yeah, and and that was fun. And I learned a ton. And, you know, and I I think, Michael, you're, you know, you're obviously an entrepreneur, Michael, I know that from your background. And uh, it's interesting how much you learn about people and their core values when you're uh, trying to to found and run a startup and uh, people who you can trust and who you can't. And so lots of good learnings. Uh, one was mildly successful. The other two failed, but that's, that's how it is uh, in, in startups. And so uh, after all of that interesting uh, experience, I went back to SAP uh, to further my career on the business side of technology. So up until then, before I started in startups, I was you know, um, m- much more on the technical side of uh, of the tech world. And then I decided, you know, I really want to, now that I've done startups and and learned a ton and having different hats on, I, I definitely want to go back into technology, but on the business side. And so when I went back to SAP, uh, I was asked to co-build and run an incubation business inside of SAP, uh, which was awesome because it was like a startup with a paycheck. So it was great. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and and so and of course there had to wear many different hats right from business development to sales to strategy operations marketing so i didn't do any of the data science or technical things in the incubation business it was really more on the business side um and so helped to grow that to uh, a point where sap could take that into kind of their mainstream uh, motions 
And then I had the opportunity to return to Microsoft in 2019 uh, to also grow an incubation business. And so that that startup stint that, you know, at the time felt like such a failure really led me to these other, you know, incubation startup things uh, that I did after that. And uh, so I went back to Microsoft to grow an incubation business called Workplace Analytics. And um, it's now called Microsoft Viva Insights. And I'll, I'll talk about that later. Um, but after helping to grow that business and help that business go mainstream, I'm now back in engineering uh, at Microsoft, where I'm working on something completely different, which is uh, building and bringing sovereign clouds to regulated markets. So governments that are outside of the United States, they want to have you know, control and autonomy of their cloud and their data. And we have to figure out how to make that happen for them. So that's what I'm doing. Something completely different. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That, that yeah. is such an interesting journey. And, and full disclosure to the audience, uh, Danielle went to Harvard and she was uh, in two of my classes. And we just ended up just having a really great conversation during both of those. And and she's been a guest speaker in my class uh, several times. Um She's really great on Zoom. Of course, you'd think that she would be <laughs> with doing all that stuff. And, and the students just absolutely love her. And um, Danielle, thank you so much for saying yes to coming on the show. And I'd like to just dive in and ask you, how are you using AI and tech at Microsoft where it's helping people be happy at work? How are you using technology to do that? It's a great question. Of course, I'll speak to Microsoft technology because that's what I use day in and day out. And uh, since since I work for Microsoft, you know, it's uh, I can talk about the happiness aspect. First thing I'll say is that the the culture change at Microsoft is real. Number one, uh, there's been a lot of press about it, and I can tell you, having been employed here in the early 2000s, and now coming back in 2019, it's a different company. Um, of course, not all over the place. You know, we're a huge company, and there are different there are pockets of this kind of older culture, but largely it's a it's a very different company. And you know, being happy and fulfilled at work, and having a big emphasis on well being and mental health, is real at Microsoft, and it's super important to our senior leadership team. They talk about it all the time, uh, not only externally but internally. And the thing the thing that's really important to me that I value a lot is that you can take that that speak and the talk from the senior leadership team and really put it into action and defend your actions with that because it's so important to the company that uh, people feel engaged, people feel psychologically safe, people feel like they have purpose. Um, so I love that. So just from a culture standpoint, you know, this is why I'm at Microsoft and um, why I'm here. So there are a lot of features within Microsoft's tech that are intended to help with productivity, you know, with balance, uh, which I like to call integration. I don't really like to call it balance because I think balance is a farce, but <laughs> I think it's more of integrating, uh, you know, your work life uh, together and then ultimately happiness. So, but the creation of this Microsoft Viva Suite that I had mentioned earlier really shows how serious Microsoft is about the employee experience, keeping employees engaged and just, you know, helping people thrive and be happy at work. So within this suite, uh, I think it's about five, maybe six modules at this point. Um, Viva Insights is my favorite one. I may be a bit biased. That's the one that I helped to grow <laughs> and get into mainstream, but it's also the one I have the most uh, experience with uh, within that suite. And the cool thing about it is that it offers privacy-protected actionable insights. 
for yourself and for your managers and your organizational leaders. Um, and so I'll tell you a little bit about what that means kind of in a day-to-day world. But um, there's a ton of value in this product, you know, in the depths of it. But out of the box, it's really all about, you know, AI-driven nudges, nudges that, you know, will tell you things like, hey, if you send this email, you're bothering somebody outside of their working hours. Do you really want to send this email or do you want to do a delay send? You know, keeping you conscious of other people's time, you know, and how many times you're bothering other people outside of their working hours. It nudges me to book learning time for myself or focus time or, hey, take a break. You know, kind of like how your Apple Watch tells you to stand up once in a while. It's these types of nudges that try to keep you conscious of just moving around, taking, uh, you know, mental breaks to, to recharge. It also gives me a summary of where I spend my time. And so, um, you know, how often I'm on time for meetings, how responsive I am to, you know, meeting requests or um, how responsive I am to other people's emails um, and or if I'm multitasking during meetings or not. So how effective is the meeting that I'm actually in if I'm multitasking, <laughs> right? And um, the other cool thing that I love about it is that it also sends me emails summarizing, you know, which meetings I have on that day and which documents or artifacts might be applicable to that meeting all in one place. So I don't have to go searching for the documents or for the meeting invites of a particular meeting. It just summarizes it for me, which is super helpful because then I don't have to go, you know, running around looking for things. And um, the AI in the products is great because, you know, in that, in that same email, it'll say, for example, hey, you said in an email a few days ago that you would send something to so-and-so. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And so in that email, I get the 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 nudge, the reminder to go and do something. Um, you know, again, just keeping things easy and simple for me, which makes my life less stressful that I don't have to, you know, look around for everything. Um, the other cool thing about it that makes my life easy is that I can also rate how helpful these helpful nudges are <laughs> or are not. And uh, and it makes the AI smarter, right? So in addition to these passive, what we call passive behavioral signals that Viva Insights picks up on, there are also active signals. So for example, after a Teams meeting, Microsoft Teams meeting, there's a there's a pop-up that, um, that will ask you, how effective was this meeting? Was there a clear agenda? Did it meet your business goals? And so you can also rate that meeting. That's what's called an active signal, right? Because I'm actively giving you a survey basically. And so when you join those active signals with the with the passive signals, passive signals like, am I multitasking? Am I double or triple booked? Are there multiple hierarchies in the meeting? Like myself, my boss, my boss's boss. All of those passive signals are then joined with the active ones to show you how effective are these meetings, right? And then if you look across the entire organization of all those signals, then you see, you know, do we have a lot of duplication? Do we have too many people in meetings, et cetera? And with that, you can then mass cancel a whole bunch of meetings. And if that doesn't make an employee happy, I don't know what does. Because then because then it frees up my time, right, to do the things that I actually need to do or that are more meaningful to me. And so this is the way that, you know, on a deeper level, how this technology can help not only individuals, but an entire organization free up time and, and really reduce their stress as an employee. I mean, the less meetings I have on my calendar, definitely the less stressed I am. The other cool thing is that I'll mention and then I'll, and then I'll 
I'll I'll stop is when you set focus time in Microsoft Teams, it actually puts you in focus mode. And so that means nobody can bother you. So if somebody is is pinging you on Microsoft Teams on chat, you don't get it because you're in focus mode. And so it also helps you to just stay focused, continue to work on something in a block of time. And then of course, when you come out of that focus mode, you know, you're accessible for everybody. You can do a VIP list and, you know, your boss can connect with you on, on your focus time if you want. But those are the types of things that that just make me happy because then I can, I have control over my time and my attention for the things that I need to do. So those are just some 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 key ones that come to mind. It's been really interesting to see, to experience that, right, as a user of Microsoft products, to have some of those different things come up and remind you. I just had one the other day of like, you said you were going to follow up on this thing. I'm like, oh, crap. I mean, that is, you're right. right. That's really, it is a helpful way of thinking about technology that we haven't had for a long time. And I agree the roll up of all of this is fascinating, right? When you look at it across or, you know, within an organization or across organizations, there's so much for us to learn. So um, I used to work at Microsoft. I worked there in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so it ah. is quite encouraging to see the culture transformation and to see the the real intention, right, around changing the culture. So I'm, that is just, it's encouraging to think that a company that big can do that. And that's for sure. Yes, so, definitely. Yeah. So the, uh, you've, I think, shared with us some of the technology, um, you know, the, the features and things that you've worked on that you think can really be helpful. I'm, I'm always curious about kind of the intersection between technology and human beings, right? Because I'm pretty clear that not technology by, it's gonna, by itself, right, is going to work. Um, so what are your thoughts on how technology and human decision-making and human leaders, you know, how, how that really could work together more, yeah. you know, more optimally. Yeah, I think that the, it's a, it's a really good point. And it's what I think about a lot because I, it, with technology, I always think about it as a tool is a tool is a tool, right? And depending on how we feed it or depending on how we use it, that is what makes the impact, right? And so that's what I was saying in the beginning that, you know, this one example of technology that we're talking about, there are a lot of great things out of the box about this, this tool set, but it's not, it's not just what the data is saying and it's not just what the tools or the insights are saying. It's how do I take that as a leader and implement change into my organization, right? And that is what we, that, that's the deeper side of, of this technology is not the, the the shiny, interesting insights that come out of the box, which are all great and they have their purpose, but it's more about these, these deeper studies. Like for example, taking this from reminding me that, you know, I don't uh, respond to some of my direct reports as much as I respond to the others, right? Which is an interesting insight for me as a manager, but how do I take that at a, at a, at a company level and implement culture change with that? Right. And and that's the intersection that we find super interesting. And that's kind of the whole premise of this entire suite and the 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 double downing into this market that we have under that we take is we want to create change, positive change in culture and in the employee experience all up and not just create yet another set of software. Right. Completely. And what that example you just use is such a great one, right? Because if you had that insight that, oh, I only really, I talk a lot to these people. I mean, one 
change you can make, one decision you can make is, oh gosh, I need to be more inclusive, right? That that's what we would hope a leader would would take from that and that you know and decide, oh, I need to talk to other people. But leaders could also say, well, those are my favorite and those those are the ones who get me and I'm just going to keep doing that, right? I mean, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to make the right change. So there's so much around kind of expectation setting and being clear about the culture you're trying to create that still needs to happen in order for those the decisions to be made in the way you hope they are, right? That's exactly right. And that's why when we talk about the employee experience and you know, helping humans, right? We're not just employees, but we're we're humans with lives outside of work. Is we this is a C level conversation that we have. You know, it's not it's not a business decision about tech. It's a business decision about your culture and your people and how can you help them. You know, the underlying tech is is a data point, is is an input to a larger kind of cultural change or strategy that any C-level person wants to implement for their company and for their people. And because we also know that, you know, when you have, uh, you know, there's a saying at, at, at home is happy wife, happy life, right? It's the same at work. If you're happy at work, you're thriving, you feel like you have purpose, you know, you you stay committed to where you're at, to your company, to your team, et cetera. And so that's the type of conversation we have um, is at that level. We do we do think about it as really a holistic change and a, a holistic experience, and not just you know a set a set of of tools to tinker around with. <laughs> right, right. That's so cool. I I love all these examples, Danielle. And um, when, when you were talking about the nudges, uh, some of them you popped out there. I was like, uh, is that a nudge or a nag? And <laughs> I'm curious if there's any unforeseen upsides or downsides to this rolling out? People not liking it when you thought they would or liking something that you weren't really sure? Any any surprises that you've seen from real clients? Yeah, I think that nudges in general, so not uh, just limited to our solutions, I think can be good and bad, right? Uh, I get I get annoyed with some nudges on my Apple Watch, but then I also appreciate it because I know I do need to move around, you know, if I've been sitting too long, right? So um, I think that there are always uh, ups and downs to that. My my key thing is, as an individual, you are always responsible for your own time, your own boundaries, and your own attention span. And so a lot of technology in general can rob us of that, right? Just any, any technology can do that. Um, I, I learned this when I was watching the documentary Social Dilemma. I don't know if you've either of you have seen it, but it's fascinating. And I really did change my my habits and behaviors because of that documentary. Having said that, I do appreciate the the things that make my life easier. So from from real clients, the nudges out of the box have been helpful. But where we see the real uh, value and why customers want this solution is because of those deeper analyses that I was talking about before, the ones that really instigate and kick off widespread change in an organization, right? And not just the individual kind of individual insights or individual things. That's all great. But the leaders are really excited about, you know, how can I just, first of all, how can I make people happy or happier at work so that they stay loyal to me, right, as a company? And then how can we also increase productivity and and reduce costs? That's always something right? How do we increase productivity, reduce costs, but not at the expense of our employees. We want to keep them. 
And so that's why these these deeper analyses are are way more interesting than you know kind of the 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 nudges that may or may not be taken seriously or may or may not be be used from time to time. So where do you think kind of the future is going with this, right? Do you have any thoughts on what where this what direction this is going to kind of lead to? Um, with this, you know, the idea of these insights and really gathering this kind of data? Yeah, I think that, you know, when I think about the pandemic, we went from a visible to an invisible workforce overnight, right? And the pandemic showed us that we can do great things in times of unprecedented difficulty and uncertainty and all of these things. And I can tell you from that experience with the pandemic, uh, with this particular solution is that you know, CEOs were freaked out when all of a sudden everybody had to stay home and start, you know, no, so many companies were not prepared for a remote work or even hybrid work type of culture, right? A lot of people were putting it off. A lot of CEOs and organizations didn't subscribe to that type of uh, work environment, right? They always wanted to have people in the office. If people weren't in the office, people weren't working, you know, this is some of the mindsets of some of the folks. And so having technology and solutions that can help to uh, ease that anxiety for C-level people, number one, to show them kind of, hey, not only are people working, you know, you you may want to look at trying to reduce some of their work. Um, so these types of solutions help with that to help uh, that transition of going from this, I'll say, traditional in-office type of work to this reality today, which is hybrid work, right? And uh, I'll tell you, when that happened with the pandemic, uh, this is when I was still in the business, um, and a lot of CEOs were, like I said, very concerned about, oh, are my people working? Or are they just hanging out in front of their computers so that they look like they're online, but they're actually watching Netflix all day long? And so we did these kind of deeper analyses uh, with these companies using the aggregated uh, behavioral data signals and insights to show that not only were people working, but they were on the brink of burnout. And so CEOs went from worrying about whether their people are working to, oh my gosh, I need to prevent people from burning out so that I we can still continue to, to run our business. And so I think that that is one of the things that really catapulted us into this, you know, future of work and, and hybrid work thinking is, first of all, a, you know, global pandemic, which none of us planned for. Um, but it just went to show that, number one, you know, people do do a lot more than than maybe others give them credit for and can can sustain a lot more than other people give them credit for. But thank goodness we have these underlying passive signals to give us as leaders signals of, hey, some of our people may not be okay and we need to go check in on them. And so it, it gives us uh, an opportunity to be uh, much more uh, empathetic with our, with our employees and have those open conversations and say, hey, you know, I, I, can, I can see that, I can literally see from these data signals that everybody is, you know, working way too much and we need to do something as a company to make sure that, you know, we protect our, our employees. Um, and so I think that's that's part of the that's part of what all of this has triggered is just making sure people are a little bit more aware about the humans that are in their organizations and that they're not just you know employees there to do work. So this is such a timely subject. Um, 
I'm actually going to give you a little bit of background and then ask you a, a specific question about your experiences. Uh, we've done over 50 episodes of Happy at Work, and we've gotten actually a lot of data from CEOs. Um, the CEO of Rico, Karsten Broom, CEO of Rico USA, he has 14,000 employees. And, and with the hybrid work, he he basically said, focus on well-being. You do whatever hybrid works best for you. Uh, and your team. And mm-hmm. then the president of LeaderBank, he was pretty much the same, and they're almost all virtual. However, uh, we we do teach the positive workplace at Harvard. It's an executive ed course, and we get hired privately sometimes. And we actually had a really big client the other day, and it was a really interesting challenge at how unhappy they are. So they were this in-person five-day-a-week, that's what was normal. And now that we're out of COVID, and this is where we are right now, they said it's two days back in the office, and they're completely upset by it. And now me, because I do my gratitude list every day, I think, well, compared to before COVID, you just got a lot of flexibility. Like, wouldn't you be grateful for that? Not at all. They, they can pick whatever two days they want. Some people don't want an anchor day of everyone coming in on the same day because they still want some distance. Then there's other people who say, I'm walking into an empty office and I go on a Zoom call with you at home and I resent that. And it's just like, wow, what do you do? And I'm curious, uh, you you have had this much more than I have from, from your perspective. What's the best way for this organization to figure out hybrid work? Because they they're struggling. Yeah, it's a tough one too. And we see that there's actually a a Microsoft blog called Work Lab that has a lot of very interesting studies and information about kind of how the future of work, the future is now, and how hybrid work uh, is happening, the science around that. And we've done a lot of work to figure out exactly that, kind of the return to the workplace initiative strategy for a lot of companies, because some people do want to initiate that or at least initiate the option um, with without taking away flexibility for organizations. And one of the things that we do is, again, look at a lot of the different data signals to see who do you work with mostly? You know, and again, this is all aggregated and, and de-identified and aggregated at a level that you can't individually say, oh, Michael said that he works with so-and-so. So it's not at that level. Um, And so we look at data signals to see, okay, who are the groups of people that typically work together mostly uh, across a a given work week? And then you can actually use the the tools to come up with a solution or a proposal to say, hey, if you were to have these folks come in on this day during these hours, uh, it may provide uh, more collaboration or maybe easier for them to finish their project or whatever it is that they're doing. Now, the problem is, though, is if people just don't want to, that's an issue. That's a totally that's a culture issue. That's an issue that cannot be solved with technology. What we have found, though, and the reason why I suggested to take a look at Work Lab is because I was reading there recently how surprising it is that so many people want to go back to work once they've gone back to work and they've seen their colleagues again and they've had these you know hallway conversations again or they go to the cafeteria again how much they've missed that and there is uh there's a there's a is it a hormone there's there's something that happens and michael you probably know this better than i do when people actually meet face to face and they 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 you know shake hands it's a completely different connection 
than when we're just constantly talking on on teams all day long. And that's what people miss. They they miss that, you know, I'll say that jolt of of yes, yes. Uh, oxy oxytocin. Tocin. I didn't want to pronounce it wrong. Exactly. But it's exactly that. And it's it's that surprising reaction or feeling that we get when when we see each other again uh, that people f- have forgotten about. And so there's there's quite a bit of information about how many people actually want to go back to work. So the thing I would say for that particular company is just have an open mind and try it out. And you may be surprised that you actually enjoy going back to work. Having said that, a lot of people at Microsoft have said that they enjoy going back to work and seeing all the uh, employees and, and colleagues, et cetera, but not five days a week. They're happy with one or two days a week max. And so it's a great you know, kind of um, middle ground. So I would just, the only thing I would say is all those employees should just have an open mind and try it out for say a quarter and see if it's something that actually provides value for them uh, in their in, in, in their relationships with their colleagues. Great, thank you. One of the things that's always tricky about using data at scale is thinking about how you balance that with privacy, right? Because to make, sometimes to make some decisions on a team, to be able to make some changes, you kind of have to know a little bit about who needs what. But of course, we want people to be open and honest and answer these questions with, you know, confidentiality or, you know, that we're gathering this data all the time. So how do you think about that balance of actionable versus privacy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about data privacy. So I'm glad you brought it up. (laughs) Um, I think everyone worries about privacy in general, as we should. We should. Uh, Even inside of Microsoft, just because we make the software doesn't mean that we can have access to all insights, right? And uh, first off, the personal insights that I was talking about before are only visible to the individual. So nobody has access to that whatsoever. The only way that somebody could get access to that is if I forward those insights to you. Otherwise, it's not visible to anybody. Um, And then for the group insights or organizational insights, there is a minimum level of aggregation that needs to happen. Um, in order for me to see any insights, right? Because there are certain data points that I could then re-identify somebody, right? So for example, if I have a team of four people and one of them is lives in Boston and the other three live in Brazil, I know, I know right away that the, the Boston dot on the map is Michael, for example. That wouldn't happen. We can't do that. Um, and, and I think it's good that way, right? Now, there are insights that I get because it's based on my email and my calendar, right? So for example, it will tell me, hey, Danielle, you've had a recurring one-on-one with all everybody on your team except for one person. And the reason why that can be shown to me is because the AI is looking at my calendar, right? And so it's not that it's revealing something that I otherwise couldn't figure out on my own. Um, and so the, the, but the aggregated insights are the ones that are super um, sensitive and even inside of Microsoft, if I want to have org-wide insights because I'm thinking about cultural change, I want to think about, you know, people are on the brink of burnout. How do I how do I mitigate that? I have to submit a request to HR and, and other folks inside of the company. I have to justify that. I have to say why I need that data because nobody wants that data to be used in a negative way, right? And um, and so, you know, I want my employees to be happy. I want to use any insights or tools that I can to make that happen. 
uh, and I and I do. But the solution itself has technical controls to protect privacy, but then also each company has to enforce their own policy controls to protect the individual. And that's also something that we talk about a lot with our customers is, hey, we can only provide so many privacy controls, but it's also up to you with your with your internal policies and culture that you protect the individual. This is great. You know, we could spend all day and, and I wish we could because I wish the podcast was longer. Um, as our, as we wrap up today, Danielle, is there, is there anything important that you think our listeners need to hear before we sign off today? Anything, uh, any important messages? Yeah, I think I'll just uh, reiterate that I love technology and I love all the ways that it can make my life easier and also create, you know, kind of mass cultural change. But I think everybody just needs to be aware that it's still your responsibility to protect your own time, protect your own data privacy, and, and stay aware of that and uh, make sure that, you know, the, the technology that you, you do use uh, is actually trying to make you happy and not not trying to make you crazy. <laughs> so that's what I would end with. Oh, that's great. Danielle, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.